very appropriate for that song to be sung this morning, for we are going to Bethlehem. Luke chapter number 2 today. Verses we will cover, start in verse number 8, and work their way all the way down to verse number 20. Perhaps one of the most familiar Christmas passages in Scripture. I think uh, Linus Van Pelt had something to do with that. Uh, If you've ever watched the Snoopy Christmas program, this is the part he quotes when they ask, What is the meaning of Christmas? In Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angel was gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured, pondered, you might have, uh, treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege and the, the joy we have this morning to spend time in this section of your word. We so much are, are appreciative, Lord, that you have recorded this for us to read, to ponder and treasure like Mary did that day. But Lord, to actually know that this is the announcement about the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that even as we spend a little more time this morning looking at it closely, that you will challenge us, warm our hearts, draw us close to yourself, teach us from this word. And Lord, if there might be somebody among us who needs to hear the message of the Savior today, Do your work in their heart that only you can do. Draw them to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This lengthy little passage here that we just looked at, uh, like I've done the last couple of weeks, I'd like to go back into it and just focus on the announcement section. There's a lot of story around the announcement. And uh, we know it all pretty well. But the announcement starts in verse number 10, and it goes only through verse number 12. The angel said to them, and here is the birth announcement of the Savior to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths, wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Now you do know the rest of the angels showed up and they added their response, right? Their response in uh, verse number 13 and 14. Suddenly there appeared an, uh, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. It's a response we ought to have. Glory to God in the highest, right? For what he has done for us. That's what the angels did. Now, as we've been working our way through these uh, familiar uh, passages here, we noticed Mary and Joseph had announcements given to them. That was before Christ was born. That makes their two announcements a little unique in the fact that it was months before, with Mary up to at least nine months before Christ was born. She heard this birth announcement. Joseph, we don't know exactly how many months, perhaps a month earlier than this moment, perhaps several months. We don't have any certainty there, but he certainly did hear it before Christ was born. And so he had a birth announcement given to him as well. Well, to the shepherds, theirs is unique. It was after the birth of Christ that this announcement came. Yes, it was the same day, right? It was during that day, it was that night, it says in the scriptures, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. So they received the news on that day. It was evening, it was dark. But they were the first ones, if you think of it this way, that also heard the birth announcement outside of the immediate family. Their Mary knew of it, and Joseph, of course, he's, he's stepped in as, as God's appointment to be the one who raises the Savior. He wasn't the father. We learned that last week very clear, carefully. But outside of those, now we have outsiders hearing it too. The shepherds. They get the announcement. So, if, as we saw a few weeks ago, Mary was the one, if she was to want to fill out a birth certificate on Jesus, she would have written on there, he is king. Remember the announcement given to her. It was all about a king. Now, if Joseph was given that job, and he had to fill out a birth announcement, a, a certificate, uh, he would have said, he is savior. Because that was the message he received. We saw that last week. The announcements, though given to the shepherds, has its own unique identity. Yes, it, it does talk about a Savior, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. But it goes on and tells you who that Savior is, right? They weren't given his name, Jesus. They weren't told he was a king. But they were told, he is Lord. He is Lord. And that maybe is the way they would have had to fill out a form if they had to. Who is this one who's the Savior who's born today? He is Christ. The Lord. Christ the Lord. Fascinating that that would be given to them, considering what they needed to hear. The angel says, do not be afraid. I love that message, how it even begins. Let's assume, like I've been doing this uh, last few weeks, let's assume that these three, Mary and Joseph and the group of shepherds, these three groups, got together and started to compare notes on the announcements they heard. Each one sharing, well, this is what I heard. 
and this is what was told to me by the shepherds. I, I think they probably could have done that. After all, we just read here this morning, down into verse number 16 and 17, rather, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. So the shepherds were talking, weren't they? And it also says, in verse 18, And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. So, if the shepherds are going to be talkative, let's use our imagination and think that they were standing there comparing notes with Mary and Joseph. And, and I already told you that Mary and Joseph had traveled all the way from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, and in that length of time, no doubt they talked too. Most people do. That's a long journey to take together, and as a result, I picture them comparing notes, and, and all of a sudden these shepherds come in with another message. You can see it start to add up. That would be fascinating, wouldn't it? They didn't have a Bible to go back to, did they? No. Everything they had was what was told to them. So, the shepherds gave them more to consider. Now, this is kind of interesting too. Maybe you've noticed it as well. But all three of these, when they received the message, started pretty much with the same phrase, Do not be afraid. Almost every single time it happens that way. Now, there's a lot of things to consider why that would be the case, perhaps. But to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. To Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. To the shepherds, do not be afraid, behold, I bring you good news. Now, Mary could have easily been afraid. Any of you startled easily? Walk around the corner and there's somebody that you weren't expecting. You jump, maybe you scream, I don't know what you do. Hopefully you don't pass out. But uh, some people startle very, very easily. And I could only imagine Mary. Who would have expected it that morning? All of a sudden, boom, angel. That's kind of sudden, isn't it? And it starts with, don't be afraid, Mary. But all of a sudden she's face to face with an angel. And, and, and added to that was the news that he brought, which would probably bring fear into anybody's heart. But especially a young lady, she's not married, and all of a sudden you're going to have a child through miraculous means. The virgin birth was a miracle. And trying to take all that, I could, I could sense a good reason to be afraid. That's a sudden bit of news, isn't it? Joseph, we saw, could have easily been afraid as well. Mostly concerned with the question, what do I do about Mary? And he pondered that, and we talked about that as well. Uh, what do you do with her? She's found to be with child. And there was reasons for him to have fear as well. But today, since we're talking about the shepherds, let's, let's go sit in the, the, the side of the uh, field with them for a few minutes, put on their sandals, sit around the campfire. It's dark. Very, very dark. They don't have street lights. We have a few. They didn't have any. And they're out there on the, on the, in the field during nighttime, watching their sheep. Now, I don't picture them as, as getting heavy in their eyes, like they're about to fall asleep, or they're dozing, or anything like that. They had to be alert. Shepherds had to be alert. There were a lot of dangers out there on the side of a city like Bethlehem. There would certainly be dangers. Watching the sheep meant you were actually watching for those who would take your sheep. Among them, the wolves, 
How often did the Lord compare false teachers to wolves in sheep clothing? There's a good reason for that. Because the wolves are dangerous. Uh, lions? Oh yes, they had lions back there. And that was always a threat, that the lions would come and get a hold of the sheep. Bears? And say, yeah? Now, I'm not going to do a Wizard of Oz thing all of a sudden. Okay? Lions and tigers and bears. But remember, David was from... Bethlehem. Is that true? David was a shepherd, right? The day that David was taken before King Saul and set up with all the armor to fit, fight against Goliath, David took it back off and he said, I don't need the armor for I have fought with the bear and the lion. He's from Bethlehem. He knows what the shepherd's need would be. He understood. He's fought with bears and lions before. So, with that, these shepherds were watching their flocks, right? So, now you're sitting there in the dark, and you're being very vigilant. You're, you're aware that uh, at any time there could be a noise. There could be that sudden, you know, attacking sound of an animal, and, and you want to be quite ready for that, and so you're prepared. Now, quite like, likely, they had a fire or two going. That would be logical there as well, because it had its role in keeping away animals as well as keeping the shepherds warm. And I would guess that that would be part of our picture. So, you, you've got a little bit of a picture. You're in among the, sh- uh, the shepherds, and a little fire is going, and it's pretty dark outside, and you prefer it being quiet. Now, that blaze is nothing compared to what you're about to see. It says, the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. Are you startled? Easily? This passage, imagine it. Just suddenly, there it is. The angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, that's a neat little word. I'm going to teach you a Greek word, all right? About as easy as you, can, you could ever imagine a Greek word being. The word is peri, which means around. We use parameter, peri. Lampo. What do you think that suggests? L-A-M-P-O. Lampo. Peri lampo. That's the Greek word. That means shines very bright. Okay? Now, I remember that word... And every time I see it, I think of the same scenario. When uh, our firstborn, Philip, was to be born, it was uh, in March, back in 86. It was time for him to be born, and, and I was already in bed sleeping very soundly. One o'clock in the morning, Kay burst into the room, slammed on the lights, and Perry Lampo everywhere. <laughs> It was startling. You know what it is now? That, that whole, it, you thought you were going blind. That sudden burst of light. Now you've got a picture. Sudden burst of light. Now, turning on the glory of the Lord. We've seen images in Scripture about what that is. That's enough to stun a person. But not only that, but there's an angel in the midst of it. Standing right in front of them. And he says, don't be afraid. (laughs) Matter of fact, you know what they were. The next couple of words would tell you what they were. It says in end of verse number 9, and they were terribly frightened. 
terribly frightened. That one's also an easy Greek word too. Megasphobia. Sounds just like it, doesn't it? See, Greek's easy to learn, isn't it? Not hard at all. These men were frightened. Very frightened. Stunned. Mary was frightened. Joseph was frightened. These men were frightened. And use all capital letters when you write it out. They were frightened. Now they're comparing notes. Oh yeah, we were scared too. You could hear them say it, try to explain the story. The angel says in verse 10, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. A couple of neat things all of a sudden developing in front of us. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. I bring you good news. If an angel suddenly appeared before you and scared you to death, or nearly to death in this case, would you expect good news or bad news? You know what? More times than not, I think we would expect bad news. And there's a good reason for that. Uh, we've been working on a uh, Bible course a class on Thursday nights called Angelology, Studying the Angels. Just finished it up. But we have found that angels do as much in the bad news department as they do in the good news department. We have story after story in the scriptures where God sent angels to bring judgment upon his people. We have angels bringing judgment upon God's enemies. We have angels who slaughtered the firstborn of the Egyptians. Remember back in the days of the Passover and all that? We go back to Exodus. It was an angel that was given the role of slaughtering the firstborn of the Egyptians that night. An angel slaughtered the Assyrian army. 186,000 soldiers lay dead in the morning from the role of one angel. And we believe that could have been the Lord Jesus himself in the form of the angel of the Lord. That's a whole other story. But one angel is capable of that kind of a judgment. Another angel killed 70,000 people in one particular event in the days of King David. Angels, they were frightful. And even if you might think those numbers are big, you should read through the book of Revelation and see how many people will perish because of the hands of the angels during the tribulation period. It's absolutely astounding to consider the judgment that an angel could bring upon this world. When God says go, they go. When God says do it, they do it. And there's a lot of times it's bad news. These shepherds are there in the field and the angel suddenly appears and makes it very clear, I've come with good news. Don't be afraid. Because they had every reason to believe that bad news might have come their way. You know, they're probably like an average person today. When you pull up the news to look at it in the morning, are you looking for good news? If you are, I'm afraid you go away disappointed more times than not, don't you? It's just over and over and over we hear things and it breaks our heart and you say, well, is that all there is to it anymore? It wasn't much different in their day either. Most news was not good news. Matter of fact, Scripture says they were a people who lived in darkness. They were a people who, who figuratively speaking, were dwelling in the midst of darkness and gloom. That's the way they were described. 
people who lived like that. I'll show you that same passage in Isaiah. I read to you this morning, chapter 9. I want to give you the context for it and start you in chapter 8. Isaiah chapter number 8. Toward the end of the chapter, if you're working your way there, um, I have to tell you a verse number now for you who punch it into your little machines. Verse 16 is a good place to go. Isaiah eight sixteen. But the context for that, the, what I'm about to read to you, is Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. That's wonderful news, isn't it? Let's put it in a, its, its place as we think through this passage. In Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 16, it says, Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. And I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will even look eagerly for him. Now, if the Lord is hiding his face from them, is that a good start to our story? No, there's trouble, right? There's trouble. Any news they're about to receive would sound like, oh boy, are we going to get it. The Lord's been hiding his face from us. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. Now, the only reason the Lord gives signs and wonders is because they're in trouble. Alright, that's usually the background for a sign or a wonder. It's to bring their attention to the fact that they're not right with the Lord. Isaiah says, well, we're here with these signs and wonders. And what are these people doing? Are they turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, give us direction. Lord, bring us to yourself. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Are they doing that at all? Well, Isaiah will tell you exactly what they're doing. It says in verse 19, when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They, they, have, they have brought in substitutes for their relationship with the Lord and the answer to truth. They refuse to go to him. And so they're going to these mediums. They're going to these spiritists. They're going to all these, even those who will, will conjure up the dead in order to give them messages. But they won't come to the Lord. The Lord says, what kind of people are these that they don't even consult their own God when they need him? And then they go, when they're, they're just about at their wits end, they say, well, let's run to the law now. Let's get this. But at that point, the Lord's not listening to them. They have no dawn, he says. That's kind of a terrible thing, to go through a night without a dawn. They have no dawn. That's how he pictures them here. So, verse 21, they will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. It will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Wow. Who are they blaming for their problem? God himself. They won't consult him, but they'll blame him. And there they are in their darkness, and they're angry, and they're hungry, and they're hard-pressed. We just sang a song like that, didn't we? The, the angels, the, the, it came upon a midnight plea, that little message around verse number 3 about people who, who are bent low and they're, they're kind of slowly walking through this world. There's a picture of these people right here. They're being crushed, 
hard-pressed. They're being famished. They're hungry. And all the strength they have left, they turn it in anger against the Lord. Amazing, isn't it? That's where they are. They look upward, aim their face toward God and curse Him. And yet when they look out again, verse 22 says, When they look to the earth, behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. Now the message doesn't stop. Keep going. But, (laughs) chapter 9 is on to something here, right? But what? But, there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. See, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in dark land, the light will shine on them. Wow, what a change all of a sudden. Stunning change, isn't it? They're used to living in darkness. They're used to walking in darkness. That's all they've ever known is the darkness. <laughs> Good news. The light has come. Good news. The light has come. He goes on to say, the nation will multiply. The joy will increase. The yoke of bondage will be broken. The victory will be given in battle. What you need is a child born to you. What you need is a son given to you. And he will rule. Those are the words. What's it say? The government will rest on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with righteousness and judgment from then on and forevermore. This is the one coming. How do you define a ruler? Someone who will rule A ruler must be wonderful. A ruler must be a counselor. We need the wisdom. A ruler must be mighty. Who's mightier than God? A ruler must be a father. But then you know he cares. A ruler must be the prince of peace. That's what he brings. We call him the Christ, don't we? The Christ is the word for the Messiah. The Messiah, the the one anointed to come and set you free. That's our Messiah, the Christ. We call him Lord. Why that name? Why that designation? The word Lord means supreme in authority. It means the one who controls. We use the word master. For this word. If he controls a person or a thing, he possesses it. He has the power to decide. He can dispose of things. He owns things. He is the prince. He is the chief. He's to be honored and respected and revered because he is the Lord. The Lord. 
Who better to help those in darkness? See, we don't need another Lord of darkness, do we? We need a Lord of light. We need one who can change the scenario. Not rule in that, but change that. The shepherds were literally in physical darkness at night, but as well, they were literally in spiritual darkness too. They were just as lost as anybody else on the globe. No other person on that globe was different, if you will. They all needed the same thing. They needed release from darkness. Simple verse for you, too, in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 12 says, Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now just that transaction of releasing us from the domain of darkness, the way it's expressed, it's a complete job. He didn't partially get you out of that. He completes you, completely got you out of the domain of darkness. When he releases somebody and rescues somebody, he never does it part way, does he? His is always a perfect rescue. That's what it says. He rescued you from the domain of darkness. Praise the Lord for that. And he transferred you to the kingdom of his son. Now that doesn't mean you're slowly becoming a part of that kingdom. Guess when he put you in there? The same time he took you out of the other. And he transferred you to that kingdom that belongs to his son, his beloved son. That's where you have your redemption. That's where you have your forgiveness of sin. You see, this is good news, isn't it? The good news that has been reported to you is that you need a Lord. One who is master and can do these things for you. The habits of sin, are they not binding? Some of them are real hard to get out from under, aren't they? Some of you struggled with that. Some of you may still struggle with things that are so hard you just say, it's like a habit, I just can't stop. I, I, I try to overcome it. I took the 12 steps of this and 3 steps of that and I ate these things. And it doesn't change. You ever been bound by sin? Struggled with it? Feel like it's, it's no use? I give up? Maybe you've even compromised to the point where you say, well, you know, it's not as bad as the other guys, so you've somehow figured out a way to consciously put up with it. But you've been in bondage. You know the bondage of sin. It's easy to walk that way. It's easy to live that way. Especially when that's all you've ever known and that's all you've ever done. Walked in a bondage. You may not even realize you're in bondage to sin. Chains and yokes. You cannot break yourself. You need a master who can. You need a Lord who is supreme in authority. And he can break those. As that Isaiah passage said. See, don't ever minimize what the angel just announced. The angel said, this is the best news. Great news of great joy, right? 
It's the best of news. For all the people. Who's left out of that list? All the people. Are you, are you left off that list? When it says all the people, doesn't it include you and me too? All the people. Who's the good news for? Everyone. Good news, huh? It's great news. Now I picture the shepherds all of a sudden, they're going to hold their breath on this one. Because the angel is saying, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. And they haven't said what the good news is yet. Drives me crazy when people call on the phone and say, I've got news to tell you. And they don't tell me right away. And you're like, tell me the news. Right? They're telling me the story before they get to the news. Just tell me the news and then tell me the story. The shepherds are getting the good news. And they're saying, what's the good news? What is the good news? Starts to declare the good news. I bring you good news. But define it. What is the good news? Today, they go on to say, in verse 11, Today, this day, something special has happened for the shepherds to hear. Mary heard it nine months ago. Joseph recently heard it as well. The shepherds, so today, here's the good news. Today, the ink is still wet on the page as they're sharing it with them. Today. I like it today, don't you? You're not getting a notice from UPS that it's just been shipped. It's today. It's, it's now. Not next week. Not in your lifetime. Not a month down the road. Now. Today. God says, good news. Today was the answer. Now, I like that as he begins even on those words. Romans 13, Paul reads these words in verse 11. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Now, he says. He says also when Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6 too. He says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. As the shepherds heard that message, it was fresh, it was powerful, it was the first thing they'd ever heard about this good news. Not only did they need a Lord, But folks, you and I need a Lord like that too. Now is the day. Now is the day. Today, they were told the child was born to them. A child would be born. Today in the city of David, there's been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Travel down to verse number 12. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You know, we've read these words so, so many times. What was Mary told to do? Let's go back two weeks. What was Mary told to do after she got the announcement? Name him Jesus. That was it, right? Name him Jesus. What was Joseph told to do? Take Mary as your wife and name him Jesus. All right, those are simple instructions. 
There's a lot more to life, I know. But that was simple instructions. What were the shepherds told to do? You're scanning quickly through the passage, and you know what it is? Nothing. They were not told to do anything. It's interesting. I think the Lord knew exactly what they would do. He didn't say, no, shepherds, you just heard this good news, so I'm going to send you to Bethlehem. He didn't say that. He didn't say, shepherds, go to Bethlehem. He didn't say that. He didn't need to. When the angel is declaring to them the message, all he said is, oh, here's a sign for you. You know what was the assumption was? They're going looking. He says, here's a sign for you, and this is all you need to do. Follow the sign. Follow the sign. You'll find the baby. Very interesting here. I, I don't think they needed the command to tell them to go. They just needed directions. I am very sure if they did not tell them that this baby was in Bethlehem, they would have covered the whole country of Israel. If they weren't content to find him in Israel, they would have headed to another country to look for him. Because that's the kind of people they seem to be all of a sudden. We're going to find that child. Thankfully, the angel said, he's in Bethlehem. That narrows it down. Then he says, you'll find him in a manger. Well, that makes it a little easier too, doesn't it? Because now you know at least where not to look. You start heading down into town looking for that. It's not exactly MapQuest. It's not a GPS or anything like that they're given. Matter of fact, City of David is a big place. In a manger. An animal feeding trough. Wrapped in cloth. The angels didn't say anything more about it. Left it at that. Apparently the shepherds found him, didn't they? <laughs> yes, you know that. They did find the shepherds. But, let me ask you a couple of questions. Why them? Why were the shepherds told this message? I start with this, and it might sound a little silly, but I really think that they were probably the only ones crazy enough to run through a city knocking on doors in the middle of the night. Would the Jewish religious people have done such a thing? We know their story, don't we? Matter of fact, they were in that throne room area when Herod heard the news that from the wise men that the baby was born. And uh, Herod turns to them and says, now tell me where he's supposed to be born. And they could open the books. And they found it there in Micah chapter 5. And they reported very, you know, matter-of-factly, yes, here's what Scripture says. He's going to be born in Bethlehem of Ephrathah and all these other things. And they didn't go six miles down the road to check it out themselves. And if they were given that message by the angels, no doubt they would have sat there, looked at each other and said, huh, Okay, and then went about their business. He didn't tell them. Matter of fact, they probably would have just checked, maybe this is a fraud. They would have gone that route. Who knows? What about a king? Why didn't God take, send the angels to the king that night and say, hey, there's a baby born for you today in the city of David. Do you remember what that king was like? King Herod. He was so jealous for his throne. He even killed family members to keep his throne. What do you think he thinks of babies? Well, we know, don't we? But he set out an order and had all the male children executed from the age of two years and below. We know what he would have done with such news. 
What about the census workers? <laughs> were they around Bethlehem? What was their job? Why was Mary and Joseph there in the first place? They were taking up a census so all the world could be taxed. There were census workers there. What do you think they would have done with good news like this? Oh, another baby's born. Oh, put him down on the list. We've got to tax that one too. Right? I could almost imagine such a thing. Another taxable person for the list. What would innkeepers do? Well, we already know what they were doing. It's not perhaps that they were entirely insensitive, but after all, there was an awful lot of people in their town, and they didn't have room for them. Mary and Joseph ended up out in the lodging where the manger was and the stable and such like that. What do you think they would have done if they heard, well, there's another one out there. Oh, we're only charging them for two. Let's make that adjustment on their bill. Could you imagine that? Taking advantage of the population growth? Well, maybe. What would the townspeople do? The angel showed up in their town and said, I've got good news for you. Well, no doubt they were busy like you and me. Many of them probably annoyed that shepherds were banging on their door in the middle of the night. Had no idea what these guys were talking about. That would be annoying, especially if you've got to get up in the morning and go to work. You know those stories? You've got to get over to the marketplace and get your items out, sell them, whatever. There's a lot of extra people in town. Do you ever want to know what it felt like to live in a town and have all these people move in suddenly? Go to southern Florida during the winter. My folks live down there. My dad still does. They call them those winter birds. And uh, there's not always a, a positive kind of feeling for all these people moving in for three months. It changes the traffic, it changes the stores, it changes everything, because the population grows so big. I could only imagine that town folks in Bethlehem being very annoyed with shepherds banging on the door and extra people and everything else. And then if this message should reach them that this child has been born, they say, well, you know, when we get time for it, we'll check that out maybe. You don't see people flocking to the manger scene. At least scripture doesn't record it, does it? Even though the shepherds told everybody, we don't see that going on. I simply love the fact that he told shepherds. It wasn't that they were bored. It wasn't that they had nothing else to do. It wasn't that, well, you know, just simply as I said, they're just crazy enough to go knocking on doors. Maybe it's not just all that. But do you know that a shepherd was the newspaper of that day. They would sit out in the fields and they would tell travelers the events that were going on in that neighboring town. They were the newspaper. If you were going by, if you wanted to hear a story, stop and talk to a shepherd. If they were around today, they'd have donuts with us on Saturday mornings. And they'd talk about everything, because that's what shepherds did. After all, sheep don't hold good conversations. These guys have to talk. So people come by. They tell them good news. People come by. They tell them good news. Can you imagine? Who perfect? More perfect to give the good news to people going by than shepherds. God says, let's tell the shepherds. <laughs> I'd like to be a shepherd like that, wouldn't you? Don't you have good news to tell somebody? Don't you? Isn't this the greatest news of all? Are you a townsfolk? Are you a king? 
Are you an innkeeper? Are you a census worker? Are you a shepherd? What are you going to do with the good news you know? You going to tell somebody? Some of us this morning, obviously, as we're, we're talking about this, we know the good news, don't we? We've been, <laughs> we've been celebrating this whole season that we know the good news. We know the Savior they're talking about. And we call Him Lord too, don't we? He is our Lord. Some among us know them, know Him as Lord. But imagine trying to spend life and time with Him while He's on this earth. Imagine a disciple, for example, who knew Him as the Lord. A disciple who lived with Jesus for three, maybe three and a half years. He might have been there the day that... uh, Jesus walked on water. Oh, he must be Lord. They might have, he might have been there the day Jesus turned water into wine. Well, only the Lord could do a miracle like that. He might have watched the day that Jesus took bread and, and broke it and fish and broke it, handed it out to 5,000 people or more. Who can do that? Only the one who must be the Lord can do such a thing like that. He calmed a storm once, remember? He was there in a boat and it was, it was about to go down and the disciples were frightened. They thought they were going to die and they woke him up and he talked to the storm. Peace, be still. And it stopped. Well, that must be the Lord. <laughs> who else could that be? They watched when he touched a man's face and his blind eyes were open and he could see. Who can do that? The Lord? A lame man, for most of his life, never moves. Jesus raises him up and he walks. Who is that? Must be the Lord. People deaf? They can hear. People mute? They can speak. Dead people. How many stories do we see of that? A little girl. A funeral procession going by and he touches the coffin. Lazarus, come forth. Who did that? The Lord. Could you imagine the disciples sitting there the whole time saying, Wow, this must be the Lord. This must be the Lord. He raises people from the dead. The same disciple... could easily recall the day Jesus was arrested. For he ran out of that garden like the rest of them did. The disciples scattered. Jesus was on trial. He was nailed to a cross. He died. was buried. This disciple said, when the news got to him that uh, Jesus had risen from the dead, he says, I will not believe unless I could put my finger in the print in his hand, and put my hand in the hole in his side. Remember that man? What was his name? His name was Thomas. Oh, he knew him as the Lord. But the day Jesus walked into that room and looked right at Thomas, he said, Touch my hands, Thomas! Reach your hand and put it in my side, Thomas! Stop! 
disbelieving. Thomas changed his vocabulary that day. It wasn't the Lord anymore. Guess what it was? My Lord and my God. My Lord. Folks, we've been talking about the Lord all morning. Is he your Lord too? Do you put my in front of his name? My Lord. My God. You see, these shepherds, that's what they heard. This baby's born, it's Christ the Lord. I could almost guess as they come out of that room that they were saying, I've seen my Lord. That will change your life. That will change your life. And I bring that before you again here today. I want to be absolutely sure you know him as your Lord. That's the only reason why I'd even want to share the whole Christmas message anyway. It's because it is good news for you. A Savior has been born. And it's more than just a Savior, or it's more than just Jesus, or more than just a Lord. Is it your Lord? Is it your Savior? Do you know Him? Do you know Him? This morning, you can know Him, and there's nothing nothing complicated whatsoever about the message of the Gospel. It's nothing complicated in receiving it either. He says, call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. You've got to call upon Him. You go before him in prayer and just simply say, Jesus, I read about you and I know that it's true and I want you to be my Lord, my Savior. Give me that redemption. Give me that forgiveness of sins. And he is the master who can do it. Just go to him and talk to him about it. If you've never received Christ as your Savior and Lord today, do it today. That's what the shepherds heard that day. Today is the day. Today is the day. Let's talk to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Fathers, you know every single person in this room. And if there be one, just one among us, who might call upon Jesus at this moment to be saved, we rejoice at that. And I know the, hev- the angels in heaven are rejoicing as well. I trust, Lord, that you break through a, a heart that's in darkness, one that's been bound in sin. Show them the light of Jesus Christ. Show them the hope of a Lord who sets them free from the domain of darkness. Show them, Lord, that you are a Savior, and you will be their Savior too. Draw them to yourself, I pray, even this morning. And for those of us who know you as Savior and Lord today, Lord, we rejoice that you came. Thank you for what you've done in our lives, how you've changed us forever. And we give you the praise, and we give you the glory. Just like the angels, we declare glory to God in the highest. Thank you for what you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.